Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How would you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset, and that's when you can reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. Look, it's summertime. Transfer window is coming up. It's gonna get crazy. So if you ever just wanna, again, take a step back and relax, read the transfer rounds, read the gossip rumors, grab a Coors Light. It'll be perfect companion for all those transfer merry-go-rounds. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. The mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when the beer is cold. That way you always know when it's time to chill. When you need to hit reset, just open a Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Now that it's finally hot in Minnesota, I'm gonna be looking for an easy beer to drink, and Coors Light is perfect for that. It's lagered, it's cold filtered, and it's cold packaged. It's, again, made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies perfect for a moment to unwind and so when you want to hit reset reach for the beer that's made to chill get coors light in the new look delivered straight to your door with drizzly or instacart coors brewing company golden colorado and as always celebrate Welcome back, Chelsea fans, to another episode of the London Is Blue podcast, your home for all things Chelsea FC. Nick, Dan, and myself cover all the match reviews from the latest Chelsea matches. We cover the team news and even throw you some exclusive interviews. Thank you already for being an awesome listener. And you know what? Let's jump right in. Welcome back, Chelsea fans, to another episode of the London's Blue Podcast, and this is a special edition. One, unfortunately, because we don't have Brandon here. He's off doing something. Begins with a W, ends with a orc. I think it's work. Mm, right, terrible. Nick? That's what he's doing? Something like that? Yeah, just, just flat out awful is what that is. Um, but you know what? We had to bring in a heavy hitter, a guy who is probably our most requested guest ever on the show, Joe Tweeds. To, to, to fill in and, and bring Brandon's spirit along with us. How are you doing, Joe? It's a lot of pressure. <laughs> well, we, no, we, great guys, yeah. We, we won't hold you to having to protect goalkeepers in the same way that he does, even when they've made awful decisions and he somehow comes up with a way to defend what they did. Mm. Except for Alisson today, who, that was a howler. Whew. Yeah, interesting, interesting, uh, interesting goalkeeper. He's... He's world-class in every game that I haven't seen him play for Liverpool. So it's, uh, yeah. Uh, all right. So we are doing, and we talked about this in social media. If you don't follow us on social, at London Blue Pod, on Instagram, Twitter, all the other wonderful platforms. But we are doing a special Winter Window Wonderland podcast series. And it's going to be a two-parter with our friend Joe on the show. And it's going to look at a couple different things going around the club right now. We want to look a little bit at the potential of a transfer ban what that could mean why fifa is looking at chelsea for this particular issue or problem kind of go into what the ramifications would be then in part two so we're gonna drop one on tuesday one on wednesday part two is going to go through actual players you know individual positions who would we sign who are we targeting what we should be looking for and it's going to be full of uh, the Nick, Joe, and Dan show. But before we get any further than that, Nick, I think we're going to have a little ad from Friends at Anchor. That's right. 
All right, so you're listening to this podcast right now, London is Blue, and guess what? We host our podcast on Anchor.fm. That's right. If you're looking to host your own podcast, this is the easiest free way to get started. This has got a content creation tool that allows you to record and the podcast right from a phone. That's right. Don't even need a computer, but you can do it there too. They'll also help you distribute it, which is probably the most challenging part. You don't want to have to mess with that. They got you covered. You can get it right on a Spotify and Apple Podcasts as well as any other place podcasts are found. And you know what? You can monetize it too. Make a little cash for sharing your great content with the world. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one individual place. So you know what? Head over to your app store, download the Anchor app, or head to anchor.fm to get started if you're ready to launch your podcast and make it happen. All right, so FIFA apparently is going to take Chelsea on with their transfer ban hammer, and this is going to potentially allow FIFA to deny the ability for Chelsea over a two-window period from potentially signing any new players. And this kind of comes on the back of some of the football leaks information that has populated out Uh, at this present time. There's not necessarily any suggestion that there's no decision that's been made, uh, things of that nature. But ultimately the punishment is in relation to, or reportedly in relation to two things. One, the signing of Bertrand Traore um, from Burkina Faso before his 18th birthday, which would be a one window ban and then signing additional UA18 players um, which would be a three window ban and before we kind of get any further than that I want to explain the whole kind of philosophy of why signing under 18 players is seen as such a major violation in the eyes of FIFA because that's the individual who would be handing Chelsea the ban and the inability to sign players or register players so Article 19 is the specific article that would be found in violation of potentially and in kind of looking at some of the law, and we are not lawyers like our friend Jay Cohen, but we're going to do our best, is that the essentially that there's an exemption for U18 players that would be they can be signed under the age of 18. However, they have to guarantee that the player will have an academic school vocational education training in addition to football education and or training, which will allow the player to pursue a career other than football and should cease playing professional football. So, you know, this was actually recently used and employed when uh, Jaden Sancho was transferring from Manchester City to Borussia Dortmund, and he actually took longer to be signed because they actually, FIFA, were investigating to make sure that this held water, that their commitment to this article was actually going to be met. So, Nick, I know this is obviously a lot. It's obviously concerning, and I think we've seen this in, you know, American sports, you know, in in colleges, right? You can't go just sign a player and then give him a bunch of money and then hope that he, you know, takes the Escalade and goes to your school, right? Like, that's not allowed. Um, yeah, I guess you can if you're Louisville. Uh, you just can't get caught. Uh, I think that's the uh, that's the scenario. I mean, it it is it is kind of like that. You're getting into you know at least if if you're thinking about in the United States, you're getting into kind of child labor laws and um, things you can do before you're you're legally an adult. Um, so there's a lot of decision making that I think FIFA has to uh, consider um, when thinking about transferring players who admittedly can be you know full professionals at a young age but um, making sure that they still have all the ability uh, afforded to them to pursue other uh, things like school or vocational training so I think it's all good there 
Um, FIFA's statement in regard to this uh, essentially reads as the following. Uh, as communicated in September 2017, investigations were opened uh, concerning the club Chelsea FC as well as other English clubs in relation to potential breaches of the uh, regulations of status and transfer players. The proceedings are ongoing, and to date, no decision has been passed by the FIFA judicial bodies. Thus, the clubs are presumed to be innocent unless decided otherwise. No further information can be provided as these cases are ongoing. Any update will be communicated in due course. So, uh, Joe, that says a lot without saying anything. Um, <laughs> what are your thoughts so far? Yeah, I mean, this is, I suppose, this this concept of signing under-18 players is something which is kind of plagued, um, not just Chelsea, but, but Premier League clubs for a very long period of time. And, you know, you think of, I'm looking at Manchester City today and Chelsea maybe in from 2010 onwards, the number of, of overseas youngsters that they signed, you know, what sort of conditions that they would have to have have come up with to, to parents and to the, the, the kind of other club and to the player themselves, as you say. You know, if you are moving someone's entire family over at 15, 16, pretty much the the kind of only focus is going to be on football. And I think, as you mentioned, you know, you have to still be able to provide them with the the ability to have these kind of vocational careers or academic pursuits, etc. It shouldn't just be for the sole focus of, of playing football for Chelsea. And I think, obviously, you know, not just for Chelsea, but, but any Premier League club, if you're bringing someone in from France or Germany or Holland or, or wherever, the focus is going to be on trying to develop them for, as, as first-team footballers for Chelsea. So this this kind of practice, yeah, has it's been going for a long period of time. And, you know, it's it's not uncommon for, for clubs. And this is, again, no no particular names or fingers mentioned here. Um, sort of, you know, signing parents in, in terms of giving them, giving them jobs, in terms of, uh, you know, obviously providing ac- academic uh, places in terms of fee-paying schools and things like that in the UK. So there's a lot of, um, yeah, there's a lot of grey in this area and I think particularly when you start to look at the the Triari case there is probably from Chelsea's perspective again I mean you, you will see probably from Chelsea's response in that they, they feel they've done nothing wrong here um, that Triari was playing in trial matches um, which obviously are not official official matches that he hasn't played in a, any FA Youth Cup games or any under 18 league games etc so I think that's the the club's kind of slightly tenuous defence that he wasn't a uh, wasn't an, an official Chelsea player per se in the same way that, I don't know, Lewis Baker, Loftus-Cheek, Chalibur, et cetera, were signed to contracts and youth uh, kind of uh, youth, youth sort of youth team players playing in, in registered competitions. So with, with Triori, there is this kind of, uh, yeah, this kind of great area that he was, uh, he was just a trialist. <laughs> I think when I say it out aloud, it seems a little bit, a uh, little bit dubious that he would be on trial from 13 to 18. He obviously wasn't impressing <laughs> them that much, but you know, that, that's more of a, a tongue-in-cheek approach to it. But, you know, and it's it wouldn't just be Terraria. I mean, obviously, Chelsea have previous with, with, with the whole Gal Kakuta situation as well. Um, so it's always kind of, yeah, I mean, we, we were always going to be, I suppose, the club that, that came under the spotlight if this ever became a, a significant sort of issue for FIFA and, and for any club in England because we do have previous with this as well. And we have obviously signed some very high-profile youngsters, not just... Uh, Domestically, but also those from from abroad, Andreas Christensen, Nathan Ake, uh, Jeffrey Broom. I mean, a lot of these guys have gone on to become international footballers. And, you know, whether these guys have been signed above board, I think I'm, I'm not too sure on, on whether that's the case. But, you know, they have most likely, I would say, if, if there are further under 18s being questioned, you could probably look at those who have been signed abroad by Chelsea in the past, I don't know, let's say five seasons. Um, 
but yeah, it's, it's it's another tricky situation that the club is going to have to navigate, obviously, with some slightly more unsavoury stuff that's happening around the club at the moment. This is a little bit more closer to the to the playing side of things. But yeah, I, th- I think the, the club are going to have to really try and, uh, I wouldn't say weasel their way out of this, but they're, they're really going to have to come up with some, some very, very strong arguments from a legal foundation because, you know, I would say particularly with the kind of the spate of contract renewals that we've seen, it doesn't take a genius to kind of figure out that the club are maybe gearing up for a potential transfer ban. How long that ban is, I'm, I'm, you know, that's kind of anyone's guess at this point. But the fact that we've renewed so many players so quickly, we're offering contracts to maybe players who potentially in previous years by may not may not have been offered contract extensions, Fabregas and, and maybe arguably someone like David Luiz who's been offered an extension as well. I think that that kind of has set the, the, the club stall up per se. Um and yeah, I, I expect the situation to get a lot messier um, before it's resolved. So we'll take a look as you talk about that. What Chelsea's defense was or their statement is, is that the club has fully cooperated with FIFA and has provided comprehensive evidence demonstrating its compliance with the applicable FIFA regulations. Uh, we will not comment further on speculation concerning confidential contracts or player related manners, which is pretty boilerplate legalese, I think, Nick, in a way of not talking about an ongoing investigation. Yeah, exactly, and and frankly, that's the right approach. I mean, um, you've you've seen cases where you know a party accused of something, you know, doesn't uh, kind of keep it above board, and and that can influence the way that a, a case is uh, handed down. So I think there was yeah, that's the only response that the club can really give at this point. I mean, I also read uh, FIFA statement earlier that you know innocent until proven guilty. So. You know, I think they are, you know, everyone's kind of treading lightly right now to ensure that uh, the facts are the things that that determine the uh, the punishment or, or lack thereof and, and instead of other outside influences, Dan. Yeah, so I think there's a couple potential outcomes that we should go through here. One is that Chelsea's deemed to not be in violation of any said claims or receive no punishment for any of the allegations that are being leveled against the club, which would be the perfect world scenario. Though I think if we just look outside any of our windows, we probably would agree that the world is not perfect. So let's kind of go on to darker timelines. And it goes from (laughs) like light gray to absolutely dark of space, devoid of oxygen, and our lungs are going to implode upon themselves. So one being that Chelsea seemed to be guilty for signing just Traore ahead of his 18th birthday when he was on trial from 13 to 18, and the club could be issued a transfer ban for one window, which would be unfortunate, but... It happens to clubs, and it's something that you know we would find a way to work around. Chelsea could also be deemed to be guilty, maybe just for the signing of additional U18 players, and that we get issued a multi-year ban or a multi-window ban, or the absolutely death of space. Chelsea is deemed to be guilty for both claims, and then the club has issued a four-window, two-year transfer ban. And Joe, just kind of from a feeling standpoint. With the rate of renewals, with the names we're seeing linked, like very young players, the Kepa contract being very long, which obviously has to do a little bit with the amortization of the the wage too. Do we think we knew about this for a long time coming, or do we think we were kind of surprised in the past like six months around this? This feels like it's a longer term problem we've been trying to solve in the back end. I think it's it's something that the club have probably known about for uh, uh, maybe a year to two years in terms of the investigation, but perhaps the the readiness to issue the ban, maybe there's been some communication over, say, let's say, the past couple of months that has, has possibly kind of 
forced Chelsea's hands in in some respects. I think just with the as we've seen this kind of this huge spate of renewals and contracts being sort of tendered to, to players, that you know that that suggests. I mean, I, I would say the club are, are maybe looking at a three, even the the whole four window uh, potentially banned there. Um, you know, it's it's both the profile of the young players that we seem to be going after, um, obviously heavily linked with with Christian Pulisic at the moment, um, and other players seem to be kind of around that age as well. Um, we've also seen a bit more of a commitment, I'd say, in the past couple of months for Sari to play Hassan Adoy and Ampadu and Loftus Cheeks, and some of the younger players are getting a little bit more game time. So, I mean, if I was having my sort of slightly cynical and maybe my slightly more analytical hat on, I think with with recent developments, I would say the club potentially are expecting to, to have a, let's say, an 18-month or three-window, potentially even a four-window ban. And, you know, we're not a particularly well-liked club. I think that also comes into play. And that's often a badge that we kind of wear with pride at times. But I think some of the some of the, the kind of stigma around Chelsea, particularly because we do have previous with this, um, I don't think that that's going to count in our favour. So, yes, obviously we've had this uh, instance with Charare, they're also citing other under-18 players, but you know we also have this, this Gal Kakuta case, very, fairly prominent, hanging over heads. We had the Ashley Cole incident as well. Um, some rumours about you know Rio Ferdinand eating in the same restaurant um, as a Chelsea chief executive at the time. There's, there's lots of stuff that I don't think is necessarily going to contribute to us having a, I'm not going to say a fair hearing, but you know if, you, if you're expecting to go in with a clean slate and, and maybe have a slightly more lenient uh, approach or a slightly more lenient sentencing, I don't think we're at that, at that point. So, yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, that they are looking so, at a, a three to four window ban. So, so, Joe, in this case, no one likes us, but we kind of care. <laughs> yeah, we. <laughs> so you say it's like when the miner has a rap sheet and it's supposed to be suppressed by the court, and then eventually they become an adult and they should be tried as adults. Yeah, our whole minor case history has followed us in, into this court. <laughs> Our priors, our priors are definitely going to affect this. But and also, I mean, I think, you know, the, the Real Madrid thing and Atletico Madrid, I know we can touch on them a bit bit sort of later, but they were really kind of the first high-profile incidents that they had as a club. And, you know, we have still, I think, have this Premier League um, points deduction hanging over. I don't know if it's elapsed from the Ashley Cole incident and obviously the Gal Kakuta stuff. They're two very high-profile cases um, that these clubs I don't think had in, in, in the same way. And also, I would say again that you know, if they are charging us with with not just the Bertrand Traore transfer, but also if they are saying that it's multiple under 18s, then I think they have quite a bit of evidence to suggest that that's the case, which is also quite worrying. So, yeah, I think that's a good transition point here. So, we should take a look at what's happened to other large clubs, and I mean, you don't have to look too far back to see both Real Madrid and Atletico Madrid basically at the same time were issued transfer bans by FIFA. In January 2016, it was mid-window, it hit, and they said, hey, by the way, next summer, you are not signing players, so go forward and try to figure out what's going to happen, because for a year, you're not going to do anything. Like, use this last two weeks in the window and sign somebody. So Real Madrid and Atletico Madrid both appear, uh, appealed to the Court of Arbitration of Sport. Real Madrid uh, had a reduced ban in December 2016, so they were able to re-enter the transfer market in December 20, uh, 2017. Athletic Madrid was not able 
to have their appeal seen and overturned. And they actually had to serve the full ban, so they were not just able to sign anybody until January of 2017 or register anybody. That's why Costa went, and then he couldn't actually play for Atletico Madrid until he was able to be registered in that winter window. So it's not just, Nick, the you know small fish in the pond who are being targeted by FIFA or where FIFA are looking for these issues to pop up. This is something that pops up on the radar because I think also the connection with massive clubs doing something that they don't appreciate. Right. And I think um, one of the things that probably isn't talked about in in regard to, you know, some of these bans and and things like that, not only around financial fair play, which is a whole different deal, but, um, but certainly around uh, issues like these is that FIFA was, uh, in, in 2014, 15, and 16, essentially raided and had all their skeletons, at least a lot of their skeletons, uh, revealed, uh, Set Blatter uh, in particular. So I think FIFA is trying to um, show that they are a little bit more transparent now, that they're uh, everyone should be playing by the same rules. And, you know, if, if Real Madrid and Atletico Madrid, among others, are being targeted, then you can kind of follow that logic pattern and think that your Chelsea's, your United's, your Liverpool's, you know, anyone, you know, big clubs, you know, Spurs not included, obviously, um, will be targeted at some point. And and I think, you know, Joe, that that seems like it's happening uh, more frequently now. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the FIFA thing is a really good point. I think it's uh it's a general push for, for go- the governing bodies to be a lot more kind of above board with with uh, with these incidents. And I think actually, even if you look at slightly closer to home, you have a lot of uh, league football teams. So Brentford being a very good example, who are actually shutting down their kind of their, all of their academy setup from under 18s below, um, primarily because of the poaching of, of young players. So, you know, if you could, for example, let's say, we couldn't poach uh, Ethan Ampadu from Exeter. He's a very good example um, for, for, you know, until he was 18, 19 or whatever the age is going to be. Deli Ali might not have been able to move, etc. Um, actually, he might have moved a bit later than 18. But there's a good, there's a, you know, there's a lot of good examples of young, particularly young English players leading their kind of football league or championship club to go to a Premier League team at sort of, you know, 14, 15, 16. Never really, uh, never really kind of getting the opportunities that they should have and then sort of fading slightly into into obscurity. So, you know, these these kind of things are, are also, I think, would would quite drastically affect the, the English game as well. You know, if there was a, not a blanket ban potentially on on sort of pulling in under 18s, obviously, you know, they, they should be able to to pursue the best footballing education they can. They should be able to get their best coaching, etc. But it would be a, a very interesting uh, spin on things if if domestically, you know, Premier League clubs couldn't, for example, hoard some of this uh, talent in, in their academies. But yeah, I think it's. Um, probably a, a general trend with FIFA that they are going to start trying to sort of be a lot more transparent, really going to try and crack down on, on some of these practices that people find quite unsavory. Um, and as usual, I mean, it's, you know, as we've seen for, for this, you know, this sort of season and, and the past couple of weeks, it's obviously never too far away from, from controversy. And, you know, it's, it's one of these things I think as a club, we probably do stretch the, the boundaries and you know, we're definitely not the only Premier League team to, to do this um, in terms of when it comes to, to sort of generating, uh, you know, kind of talent in the in the academies, etc. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it looks potentially like we will be one of the clubs that, that gets a gets an example made out of them. If it's a two window ban, um, 
for two year down, I should say, sorry, and I think that's obviously going to have huge effects on us. But, you know, I think that the club will try and push for as as, as lenient approach as possible. But yeah, I mean, kind of as, as we've discussed, I think the priors are potentially going to, are going to count against us. And, you know, maybe it pushes the club to, to, I don't want to say clean up their act because I think that it's it's a it's kind of a problem that's, that's quite rife in in European football anyway. But you know it, it maybe it kind of changes the way that they, that they try and tackle some of these things, um, particularly when it comes to signing young players. I think it's important to note too that FIFA is going after a lot of big clubs in multiple ways. It's not just Chelsea who are being targeted for these U18s or Bertrand Traore. Manchester City is being investigated for potential violations or pretty legitimate looking violations of financial fair play and basically a legalized form of money laundering, which is pretty exciting and is going to be a really, really great novelization. Uh, I'm looking forward to the, uh, the, how they embed somebody to do that story. Um, not just in the pep locker room kind of scenario when they win the title. I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, that will be great video on demand, but ultimately, you know, FIFA is going to target, anything and it's not that Chelsea are being singled out it's as if we have potentially done something that is not in line with the letter of the law we should expect to be appropriately punished for it and then have to figure out how we work forward from that and Nick it may be a multi-window ban which would not be great but if we did the time we should do the crime as up into what our lawyers can talk it down from. <laughs> right, right. I love well, that I, last bit. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that is very true. I, I think the the most important scenario, and, and we can, you know, kind of end this part, uh, is that, you know, let's pretend a ban happens and, and Joe's best guess is right, and it's, it's three windows, you know, which is a really lengthy amount of time when trying to stay competitive in Europe. Um, and uh, you know maybe having hazard leave at some point. That is that's a pretty lengthy deal, and then you know maybe the court of arbitration of sport uh, knocks it down to two windows. Uh, it's still there's still some wiggle room here. I mean it's it's this isn't to say that any of this is a done deal as we've previously stated, um, but there's still you know some time to figure out. I think from a from a Chelsea perspective, legally what they can talk it down to and. Uh, and then, you know, I think what we're going to get into next is, you know, in part two of this is, is you know, what do we do with our current squad and, and start to make some decisions either preemptively or based on the information that we have to uh, to stay competitive. And before we do that, we did have a couple questions from Patreon that we have to throw out here. So our friend Mark was asking if we were going to Vegas and putting odds on the transfer ban, what are the <laughs> what are the odds we potentially what would we get, Joe? What do you think we would get from an odds perspective? I mean, this feels like an incredibly specific question and that Mark <laughs> potentially is is going to do this. So, I mean, as, as a financial person who works in banking, I would qualify this with that. Do not take this as, as any kind of advice here. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I would say I, I think the prospect of a ban is incredibly likely. Let's say I'd say 80% and above. How long that ban is is the part that I'm unsure, I'm unsure about. I'm I'm almost positive that, that FIFA will find that the Triway signing has kind of broken some of these particular rules, and that in case will trigger a ban. Um, whether the club, as I said, can can use this trialist argument um, for that length of, of time that he's he's been playing um, unofficially for Chelsea, I'm, I'm a little bit dubious about personally. But yeah, 80, maybe 90 percent. I think that there, there will be a ban. Um, 
And I, I think that the club's actions in terms of, I think as we've, as we've discussed, a lot of the, the contract renewals and, and that kind of very, very quick succession of, of renewing sort of some of the more prominent squad members, some of the offers to Fabregas and Luis, etc. I think that, that that also tallies up that the club are kind of almost hedging themselves in terms of losing some some players um, and, and locking some players up, obviously, during the course of a potential ban. So 80 to 90 percent, I would say, in terms of, uh, of them getting a ban. But how long that will be, I'm, I'm a bit unsure of. And a point to consider that we didn't necessarily go over when Atletico Madrid and Real Madrid got hit with their bans in January of 2016. It took until December of 2016 for the Court of Arbitration of Sport to actually render a verdict on that. So keep in mind that if we do get hit with a transfer ban of some capacity and an 80-90% possibility if we do appeal it's not an immediate oh we're going to hear your case and it's going to happen overnight and we'll get it done and then we'll be able to sentence and determine what's happening or we'll be able to overturn it's going to be a pretty lengthy process to the point that you know joe made earlier that this is probably something that the club has known about for uh, multiple months if not more than a year or more that we've kind of been being investigated and this has been going on so other question would be which I think we can all answer very easily. If the if there is going to be no you know ban or there's going to be a window and if this is the last one for a while, how important will this be from Devin? And I, I would say I think universally we're all going to say that it would be hugely important to get this window right if we were getting a ban. <laughs> yeah, I mean I think the the key thing here is if it's if it's a multi window ban, it's it's whether Chelsea, let's say my hunch is correct and it's it's the three windows if it's if it's two summers in a january then i think we're we're in trouble um if it's the summer into january so january summer january then i think we've got a little bit more leeway lee kind of leeway to, to sort of maneuver there but if it if it is a summer then the january then the following summer and i think that then that's obviously problematic the amount of uh, of big deals that obviously happen in the summer compared to january i think that, that's fairly obvious so yeah i mean the the, the importance of getting this window correct both in terms of, I would say, you know, player player sales, but also in terms of, of bringing in some some new talent and particularly a striker. I think if we have to, uh, you know, put up with with Almar, Alvaro Morata and Olivier Giroud for the next two, you know, two years, and um, without being able to pull anyone back in, maybe Batshuayi comes back. But then I think that that's very problematic. So I think that you know, January becomes if it wasn't important then, it becomes incredibly important now, and particularly to to solve the problem that that is that we, you know, we're we're very yeah, we're very poor in terms of, of having goal-scoring options in the squad. So I think that problem, if it wasn't a problem already, I think that becomes an enormous problem in January. Two years, though, is a very long time to learn about the offsides rule, though. So that is the <laughs> one positive that we could take from this. But before we kind of look at the current squad, I know, Nick, you wanted to talk about something pretty special with our friends at Classic Football Shirts. Absolutely. So uh, in September, we, we haven't released this information except for this week on, on the pods. Uh, in September, we broke our millionth all-time download. And we were super pumped about it, but we didn't really know how to how to celebrate it um, because it was just kind of a, a special moment for us. Um, but essentially what we've done is work with Classic Football Shirts to give away a signed Cesar Espilicueta shirt from the uh, 14, 15 title winning season. So that's, that's really special. And we're, we're super pumped that they were, uh, so gracious, uh, as to, as to give us that shirt. So essentially what you're going to need to do to help us kind of celebrate this milestone is watch Instagram and Twitter, uh, for rules and, and everything. 
follow our, you know, follow us on on Instagram and Twitter. Follow Classic Football Shirts on Instagram and Twitter. That's kind of a an entry point. Uh, comment with your favorite Aspie tribute um, because he's he's recently renewed and uh, is club vice captain and is generally awesome. And then use the hashtag uh, London is blue one M. So London is blue one million. And uh, and you'll be entered to uh, to win this thing. It is for U.S. fans only. So sorry to Joe who can't enter, unfortunately, um, for for this wonderful kit. Uh, but we just want to say uh, we just want to say thanks to Classic Football Shirts, and then obviously to all of you for helping us kind of get over this major milestone. We we started this four years ago, and four years ago and change, and never in my wildest dreams thought we would uh, we'd ever cross a million all time downloads. So. Uh, for that and and for so much more, just a huge thank you. All right. Well, we'll keep the celebration going. We'll try to keep the mood high as we go through Chelsea's current squad and kind of taking this information in, soaking it up, understanding that there may be a transfer ban and may involve multiple windows. We have an existing squad of players, and a couple of them have already made contract extensions. We've seen Marcus Alonso signed an extension. Golo Conte obviously signed a massive extension to make him the highest wage earner at the club. We saw Aspilicueta resign. There's rumors of Rudiger resigning, but we have a lot of players who are potentially going to be out of contract in the very near future. We also have a lot of other players who are on extended contracts like Jorginho, Kepa, Ampadu, Barkley. You know, there, there's individuals. So we, we, we do have players that would be able to help us fill out a lineup, Joe. But where is your primary concern looking at maybe what's kind of about to expire right now? Are there players that we we should be locking up for another year or two considering this potential ban that like have not signed one yet? I think um, probably with my academy bias hat slice on here, I think you're looking at, I think, probably Hudson-Odoi and and Loftus-Cheek. Hudson-Odoi's contract, I think, expires in, in 2020 and, and Rubens does in, in 2021. So it's not a a huge kind of amount of time left, particularly with Hudson-Odoi. And there's, there's obviously a lot of interest in him um, at the moment in terms of, uh, of other clubs trying to sort of swoop in and, and take him. But I think, you know, you're looking, first of all, kind of at, at trying to maintain some of the the kind of club train players. Obviously, a lot of this this homegrown stuff is going to be particularly important, particularly if, if Brexit goes through. So if it does eventually go through, I think we need to acknowledge that there's going to be some sort of implications on on how uh, squads are composed going forward. So we need to retain or, or make a, a real effort to retain as many of our homegrown club trained you know players as possible players who who have come through the academy in that respect. So I think that that, that definitely does become important. But I mean, looking at sort of expiring contracts, I think probably the one, maybe the the one that that, that kind of jumps out probably is is David Luiz. Um, more so, I would say for his his leadership, I think he he has the the character that's probably needed around the around the club um, in the dressing room. I still don't see a huge amount of leaders um, within the sort of the the dressing room per se. Um, you know, Fabregas, I think potentially wants to play regularly. Um, you know, there has been a lot of interest in him from AC Milan historically, but obviously now that he, he can leave on a three, I think then that obviously is, is going to also come into into play. Um, but looking at, at sort of some of the older players who are leaving, I think really it's Louise. Um, and actually, yeah, looking there, just looking at the, the graphic you've got there, uh, Bulka, you know, I think him him leaving, you know, Kepa maybe has kind of blocked his possibility of ever being the club's number one, but 
that is an incredibly talented young goalkeeper to let you know go for next to nothing. So, you know, there hasn't been a lot of um, a lot of noise around him signing a contract. And I, I, again, I would I would say that's probably because he feels, and probably quite rightfully, that he could start for a probably a Premier League team within the next one to two years. Probably start abroad. Um, you know, and I think he he could be a number one goalkeeper before um, before he's twenty. So, um, or if he's you know definitely within within the next sort of one to two years. But that would be an interesting one to lose because I think, again, if you look at sort of the standard of goalkeeping globally, and I think Volker's very talented, um, but, you know, you're losing him for nothing, which, again, kind of goes against Chelsea's whole business model of, of finding young, talented players and then, you know, looking to sort of sell some of them on for a decent profit. So he's also quite an interesting one. And then obviously Hazard, Hazard obviously jumps off the page as well. Um, part of me thinks that he's not going to sign the contract that's on the table, Um the other half of me hopefully looks, uh, hope, or hopes that he looks at what's going on at Real Madrid at the moment and feels, you know, that this isn't necessarily a place that he wants to go. Hopefully that he he can remain at Chelsea, but I think that's kind of down to the club. If we qualify for the Champions League and we, we're able to, let's say, get a one or two decent players in to, to help support him, I think he could stay. But again, you're, you're looking at losing another player for potentially well, well below their uh, their sort of current market value. So there's a couple that stand out. Um I think a lot of the kind of the sort of squad fillers slash dead weight players are kind of coming towards the end of their their kind of contracts. So that's not the end of the world. Obviously, the, the the fact we won't be getting any money from them is a bit problematic. But I think yeah, Hazard is obviously the one that jumps off the page, and then you're looking at some of the more younger uh, homegrown players to sort of fill in those uh, those gaps that I think are, are going to need to be filled probably from next year onwards. So Nick, I'm looking at the list. Uh, so we'll kind of run through it here too for players that are out of contract as of 2019 uh, 2020 so essentially at the end of this season they're going to be able to do whatever they want uh they could be resigned they could you know start in january talking to teams and get a pre-contract going but that is Cesc fabregas willie caballero mateo kovacic goes back to real madrid ends his loan olivier Giroud. we have gary cahill david louise the one and only Rob Green and Lucas right. Paisan and Marcin Bolka. So I know that, you know, we always talked about David Luiz as Joe's kind of highlighting probably needs a one year contact, you know, contract extension, whether he will or won't sign it. That's another scenario to consider. But are you seeing any players there that you have grown attached to or fond of that you would probably be looking to throw a one year deal on the table and see what happens? Well, I, I think. The interesting one would be Giroud um, to me because I like frankly don't know where the club is going to go from like a striking perspective. I mean, if if Morata is is the one that's kind of being dangled out there because he's he's younger and um, you know there's always the prospect for him to kind of find his feet somewhere else, then that leaves us with Giroud right now on the on the bench and. You know, I guess Hazard, if they're going to continue with this kind of false nine striker scenario, so that's really interesting to me that you might you might be able to just re uh, re up him for another year until you figure it out. But with with the ban looming, I'm not sure that that's even a, a great long term option. So yeah, it's the striking scenario is is bleak right now uh, to say the least, Joe. And you know if if you know Batshuayi comes back, I mean he's still he's still pretty young. Um, Tammy Abraham's out there, but I'm not sure he's he's Premier League quality. Uh, it, it's there. There are not a ton of options uh, to to be found, <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah, I mean that the I think the huge issue we have, and I think we're seeing it this season, is it's not just the 
the fact that we don't have a centre forward who kind of knows where the goal is regularly. And, you know, when you're trying to bed in new tactics, I think one of the things that people often overlook, and, and this kind of goes up when you've got players like Aguero and Harry Kane and, and others in the league, having a really good striker who can just score from nothing really does paper over a lot of the, the craps today. And, you know, I know we're not talking about today's game, but I don't think we played particularly well. But one half of Eden Hazard playing pretty much at his full capacity and the game was won. We don't have really enough of those kind of attacking players, definitely not a forward or a, or a winger like Salah who can who can just bang in, you know, sort of 20, 30 goals to paper over the, the cracks. I think while, Sari's rebu- while he's rebuilding, he, he virtually, or the team has to virtually be perfect every single game for us to win. And whereas, you know, you could probably go back to and look at some of Tottenham's results, you know, under Pochettino and, and uh, you know, sort of Aguero at City. And sometimes... The, they don't play particularly well, but then Aguero will just pop up with two goals or Harry Kane will just score, you know, two absolute screamers and that's it, three points. And, you know, you can't really underestimate the value of just having that that type of player in the squad. And, and as you say, when you look internally at the moment, you know, if you really, I really like him as a hold-up player, but he's never going to be a 20-goal-a-season striker. Morata, I, I kind of was, was not hugely in favour of signing him to begin with. And, you know, the more I see him play, the, the less... Less confidence I have in him as a as a forward. Um, Batshuayi, for some reason, never really seems to get a chance here. Um, good finisher, but you have to kind of wonder why he's not being considered by Sari, given we had so few options. And I kind of agree on Tammy Abraham. He's sort of this kind of weird situation where he's probably too good for the championship, but maybe at the moment he he needs to find a, a team, a lower team in the Premier League, where he's going to kind of get adapted to Premier League football. Because, yeah, I mean, having him coming as and be Chelsea's number one striker is you know, it's it's a roll of the dice. It's it's not a anywhere anything that's going to confirm um, that's really going to sort of get us to where we need to be in terms of having that that sort of prolific centre forward. So we go back to sort of the January window and and who potentially is, is someone that we can bring in there because you know if we again if we're, if we're looking at this this ban for let's say multiple windows, if we can't find a striker in the in this uh, you know in this sort of upcoming January, then it's going to be Morata and uh, Batshuayi and Giroud maybe for the next you know two probably the next season, season and a half potentially. So yeah, it's it's definitely problematic. Um but something the club absolutely has to find the answer to and it probably has to be this January. Well, we will in the second part of this uh, two-part Winter Wonder uh Transferland special, we will go into specific strikers, but I think as we kind of also talk about attack, we have William out of contract in 2020 and Pedro out of contract in 2020. I think Joe, you were kind of also highlighting the fact that one of the two is probably gone at some point here because obviously we need some level of maybe just you know rotational play. And obviously, I think Pedro, in my mind, is the one that fits Sarri's system just a touch better than William, even though William getting to play on the left-hand side is definitely more special than him getting to play on the right-hand side. So the hazard pedro William scenario actually works out, I think, pretty well for all parties involved. But do you see, you know, it seems to me like William is the one who wants more playing time and also has been courted by bigger teams recently than Pedro, even though he, you know, William is getting a little bit older. Would you see the club maybe trying to find a way to, if there is one last window, know that they potentially can get some level of revenue for him and ship him away so we could bring in a little, someone a little bit younger? I think if they, if they wanted to sell him, they probably would have done it in the summer. Um I still think turning down what was it, 50, 60 million pounds of him from Barcelona, uh, I still think that that was an incredible decision that the club made at the time. Um, you know, I, I don't think this is a guy who 
I don't think he's has he broken double figures in the league since he's been here. I'm not sure if he has. Um, no, no, but, yeah, but, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, we talk about all of the the work rate and the balancing of the team and the fall of a hazard and all of this stuff that people say to justify him playing the amount of games that he has. But in a team that doesn't have goals, I, I would swap him for a lazy, greedy right winger who gets 20, 25 goals a season, you know, within a heartbeat. So I think they've maybe missed out on that opportunity to get some decent money for him. Um, but I think potentially, yeah, I mean, what you're saying in terms of him and Pedro, Pedro to me looks a better fit, both in that he can probably also play down the middle um, as well as sort of playing from the right in a, in a slightly more um, kind of fluid fashion than, than William can. Um, yeah, I mean, I would see potentially that he he goes um, in the summer. I know the club would probably obviously like to renew him and maybe use that as a, an ability to generate some sort of money from him. But, you know, William leaving now or leaving in the summer, it's probably going to be his last big contract that he gets, whether that's in China or maybe he'll look into to Barcelona in, in all summer in, in Spain. But uh, I, I see him being the player that goes and Chelsea looking to get someone in to, to replace him. And now, Nick, I know that you are potentially deeply saddened by the fact that Zappa Costa's contract runs out in 2021. Man. You're a huge fan. <sighs> yeah, really, but, really love the right wing back position. Uh, him and man. Moses actually both subject to a 2021 end of contract. And, you know, I, I would imagine those are probably players that don't have a long shelf life either. Yeah. I mean, Moses and Zappa Costa are probably, uh, I would say most likely to be transferred sooner rather than later. Um, there's all this speculation now around, you know, whether, you know, as P stays his right back, if, you know, if he moves around maybe to a left back or if he, he plays in the center because we, we can't find a stable option next to Rudiger. There's a lot to, um, there's a lot to be considered there. I think Moses, you know, is kind of from a fit standpoint, obviously, um, needs to go play as a wing back now. Um, and, and that's just not the the role that Sarri is going to ever be able to offer him. So that's unfortunate because he's a guy who I really, I really liked uh, under Antonio Conte. Uh, Zappacosta just isn't ever going to do it for me, unfortunately. And that's, you know, just a, a personal opinion on that. And then, you know, Ruben uh, in 2021, as, as Joe said uh, recently uh, on the show, it's, it's, Maybe do, this transfer ban is is the best thing that could potentially happen for his career at Chelsea. You know, I think he's starting to grow into sorry system. He's he's certainly uh, a threat moving forward, and and some of his ball control, uh, it, you know, is just insane for how big and strong he is. So he's a guy who I think every Chelsea fan is, you know, in, in addition to Hudson Odoi, we're all rooting for. Uh, you know, to, to re-sign a, a long-term contract and to really have a a great shot in the team, Joe. Yeah, I mean, I, I completely agree. Um, I think people know that I am, uh, have a slight bias towards any of the uh, the academy players coming through that are pretty decent. But um, yeah, I, th- I think what what's really pleased me about Lotus Sheet this season is that he has taken a challenge from a manager, but a manager who actually seemingly wants to kind of improve him rather than a challenge of just, okay, we're going to put you as a centre forward or we'll play you on the wing and just sort of forget about you. He's kind of taken the challenge of of, of getting better and, and performing better. And we are seeing, I think, this season, probably, you know, he's, he's put in some really, really good performances in the Chelsea shirt. There's still obviously things that he needs to, to get better at, but I think that's probably the case for a lot of all of the players on the Sari. But, you know, he's gone from being 
someone with potential who is slowly starting to realise that now. And I still think people will always have to factor in that he hasn't played the, the amount of football that he probably should have at his age. So he's always going to be a little bit behind certain things in terms of his curve. But I think, you know, what he brings, particularly with the ball at his feet, I think what you're saying is right there, is that, you know, there aren't many players in, in European football who have his combination of, of technical ability plus physical prowess, you know, his his power when he gets up and running with the ball, but it's also his his end product, his feet, you know, the way that he can, he's kind of like a big hazard sometimes when he runs with the ball. And it's, it's a very strange kind of idea that, <laughs> that someone that big can be that nimble and, and have that kind of low centre gravity. But we're starting to see him. And I think when he came on today, he was he was also very good. But I think Hudson Adoy is the one for me that I'm, I'm really also hopeful that the club can, can resolve his contract situation. Because again, I think, you know, if... You know, if, if Eden does leave, and I'm not, I'm not by any means putting pressure on Hasinoy by saying that he's a replacement, but, you know, he is potentially someone who could replace Hazard and maybe not in the world-class playoff straight away kind of kind of sort of way that Hazard would, would leave quite a big hole there, but probably with goals and assists. You know, Hasinoy is a lot more direct than Hazard. He's a, lot, he's a lot more direct than pretty much everyone else that we have um, who plays in that, in that that particular kind of wide areas um, up front. So, yeah, I'd love to see both of them kind of uh, renew and, and also kind of stay around with the club and yeah I mean going back to the point about Moses and Zappacosta I mean I would be very I would actually I wouldn't be surprised if Moses goes in January um, Crystal Palace or Fulham someone like that um, and also Zappacosta potentially back to back to Italy um, also very interesting to note that obviously in terms of right backs we have Reese James who's doing very very well at Wigan um, and then Ola Aina who has completely kind of found himself playing in, in Serie A this season He's been a bit of a revelation um, for for Torino. Um, so yeah, you know both of them are, are doing very very well and, and could also come back in the summer um, and potentially have have arguments to to start playing for Chelsea. So yeah, you know it's it's a it's a question of, of trying to get the the better younger players signed up for longer term deals. I think obviously the transfer ban is one thing, but also you know this whole Brexit scenario potentially is another thing as well that the club need to be. Well, I assume that they are mindful of, but I think that they also obviously. As fans, we need to be mindful that there potentially is going to be some issues in signing um, sort of overseas players or something like that post-Brexit. So, yeah, they need to have a bit more of a focus domestically. But I'm, uh, I'd be very, very happy if, if both Hassan uh, Adoy and Loftus-Cheek extended. All right. Well, I think we have talked this part of the podcast to its natural end. And all we would ask of you all is if you have any thoughts around which players should get an extension, which players you're thinking – probably are going to leave in january leave in the summer hit us up on instagram on twitter send us an email hit us up on patreon let us know what you're thinking because obviously the conversation is a good fun one to have and it will definitely keep you occupied maybe during those awkward moments when family stuff is going on during the holiday season and you know uncle nick has had a little too much to drink a little too much <laughs> for roses come and, on and you know you just don't want to have that conversation about <laughs> politics or sports or religion you've made nick sound like the creepy uncle there. yeah man what do, what do i do to deserve this? sorry sorry we'll make it brandon because he's not here yeah. It'll be creepy brandon your uncle brandon
He can't defend himself. That's that's how we like to do insults on this show. <laughs> All right. Well, we will hit you back on Wednesday. So it's Tuesday. You're hearing this today. We'll hit you back on Wednesday with another episode. Joe will be back, and we'll go into specific players, other winter transfer kind of options that might be out there, and answer some of the questions we got on social media. But until we do that, the last thing we would say is, you know what to do, Chelsea fans. Keep the blue flag flying high.